Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I'm thrilled that you guys are here today. We appreciate you tuning in during the holidays, so thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. 2020 has been a wild ride for so many, and so we want to create a special episode of Just the Tips where we compiled some of our favorite episodes of the year. I mean, honestly, we've been so lucky to have conversations with some incredible, inspiring entrepreneurs and experts, so we've packed this show with actionable tips you can implement in your business right now to set yourself up for success in 2021. We've included great tips on marketing, sales, Facebook ads, leadership, scaling your business, and so much more. So without further ado, let's dive in. Most people don't understand the difference between marketing and selling. They don't understand the difference between, right? And they, that's why you see things like, you see people talk about sales funnels, marketing funnels. They use those terms and phrases interchangeably, not realizing that selling and marketing are two completely different activities with two completely different objectives. So selling is w- when you are talking about your product, your features, your advantages, the, the benefits of your product, when you're talking about price terms, when you're talking about the offer, maybe when you're talking about your company track record, um, and that sort of stuff. Selling is what you do when you are talking to a prospect or communicating with a prospect that already knows what they want. Uh, they already, they already know that they want your type of product. Mm. And now what they really want to know is why yours, like, why should I choose your thing over these other, um, options? Meaning that selling is what you do when you're talking to a high awareness level prospect, um, marketing is, uh, is actually all about creating demand for your product, for your service, for your offer before you ever even talk about your product or service. It was Peter Drucker, arguably the greatest management guru ever, who said the objective of marketing is to make selling superfluous, to make Mm. selling unnecessary when marketing is done right and marketing, right? Marketing is, is really is everything that you do and say and show and present to a prospect to lead them to want your thing before you offer them your thing. Mm -hmm. It's what you do to lead them to want to take advantage of your offer before you ever even talk about your product or, um, or service. And what Peter Drucker means by marketing when done right uh, makes selling superfluous is that when marketing is structured correctly, when you're when you recognize that I'm I'm marketing, I'm 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 talking to the prospect and I'm educating the prospect in a way that's leading them to Mm -hmm. um, to see my thing ultimately as the 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 greatest the best path to solve their issue um the reason why peter drucker said it makes selling superfluous is because you don't have to hardcore sell at that point you get to present a great offer and prospects become grateful for the opportunity to 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 take advantage of that offer so that's the first thing the first mistake is not realizing that there's a difference between marketing and selling and you you have to be very careful that you don't conflate the two uh, and that you understand the difference. The second thing that I would say, and there's really, there's a lot. So I'm, I'm going to try to pick and choose just a couple more and then we could dive into whatever it is that you want. Um, the, the second mistake is, uh, is not realizing that everything that you say and do and show and present in your marketing, when marketing, even when advertising, which is much more akin to selling, it's much advertising is much more appropriate for, uh, higher levels of, of awareness prospects, but everything has to come from the market. Meaning as an entrepreneur, as a marketer, you've got to step out of the way. It's not about what you like. It's not about mm-hmm. what you want. It's not about what excites you. It's not about what motivates you. It's not about what you know, what you like, what you fear, what you crave. It's not even about what you believe the market should want or need or crave. It's right. about what they want. It's about what they want, period. 
And it's about, it's about their language. It's about what th their emotions, their fears, their concerns, their beliefs, right? All of those things. And so you've got to understand the market. And I think today there are, whether it is, I think, novice, newer entrepreneurs, marketers, they don't understand that. I think the intermediate level entrepreneurs, marketers, I think it's almost become this in one ear out the other. Like, yeah, I get it. But what they end up doing is they end up saying, I get it. It's all about the market. And then they sit back and they think about, I wonder what the market's thinking, feeling, right? And they, they're kind of the yeah. origin of their you know customer avatar if you would use that phrase which i'm not a fan of but if you were to use that the origin of their customer avatar is really their own head they're kind of looking at it like ah, well if i was them and i wanted to lose weight what would i want what would i be afraid <laughs> right, of what would right. i be concerned with right and that's uh that that uh um that ain't it the 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 third thing uh I'll, and i'll give just one more after this which will be quick the third thing um that I would say is today there is this weird, it's, it's strange to me, uh, there's this weird belief, whether it is unspoken, uh, sometimes spoken, sometimes you could see it in, in, in actions, there's this weird belief that the magic in online marketing is in the funnel pages and or the funnel model. Like mm -hmm. people think like, right, like, oh, cool to, to generate an opt-in. The, the, the key is I need an opt-in page, <laughs> you know, like as if that, if, I wish it was that simple, please, right. <laughs> right? Like, please. Do you have a mission for your company? Do you know exactly who you're trying to serve? Or are you just kind of flailing around whenever you hear an idea? You know, are you, do you, do you talk about that mission to your team if you have employees, right? Or your contractors, um, is there like you have to set um you have to set your your coordinates in a direction otherwise you, you know you you end up just swaying and varying in degrees and one you know if you fly from california to new york and you change one degree of the flight path you're going to be in a completely different place so it's like do you have those those that that path in front of you and and you know it's it's okay to be flexible but like like lady boss isn't going to like start launching a bunch of like cabinetry products tomorrow mm -hmm. because all of our women have desks at their house. It's like, it's like you have to, to, to have an idea of what course you're on and stick to that. And then, and then, you know, permeating that culture and that mission through the company. So you have an identity, you know, who you are, who you're trying to serve. You'd be surprised how many people don't have that defined. Like mm -hmm. I, I see that a lot. It's like, we just kind of blow around in the wind when we hear something good or we get a good idea from the shiny uh the the, the shiny object highway flying by us and, and we forget that so i think i think that focus has been extremely helpful for us in our journey awesome um and dean i know like for what you guys are doing with the e-com business and brand that that you and robin have been launching i know that's been a big focus for you guys how do you you know how do you really serve that that woman in that market that you guys are serving. So you're kind of going down that exact same path right now. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny when you said that Brandon, like many people don't even take the time to do that. Well, that we did that, but we didn't know we were getting that wrong. Like it was like, we were completely unaware of it at the time. But when you say it now, it's like obvious, like, of course you got to figure that out. And that, that was, you and I've spoke James, that was like switching us, turning a switch for us. Like as soon as we said, hang on, who are we serving? And like, what, what's the path here? It literally just changed overnight. It was that fast. So it's so big. So how do you how do you go from okay, you know, this is who I'm serving to you know, 350,000 women who are like I've I've been in public places with you and 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 it's almost like the paparazzi, you know, is like attacking you, Kaylin. Like how how do you create that raving fan like is it just everything is always about the customer or is there some other, you know, ingredients in building that, that raving fan culture? You sound like you're looking for secrets, James. <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you what I'm looking for, Dean, and I'm going to be very blunt about this. I'm looking for the tips. This show is called just the tips. And I feel like we need to furnish the tips to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah. So I'd say the first part of this is, um, realizing that the person that you're serving, obviously, like you just said, but also at the same time, like realizing, okay, 
for me to serve these people, I have to be as real as possible. I see too many people that try to be everything to everyone. They try to get everyone to like them. That'll never be true. There's people in your own family that don't like you and they're your family, right? So you have to give away, like you have to give up this idea of like, everyone's gonna love me and I have all these raving fans, like all this stuff and just be you and stand on the things that uh, you believe and that your company believes. So for me, it's like, um, you know, I, uh, God and guns, right? That That's my first two things. And then it's like, the things that people believe about weight loss. And I stand on those beliefs that I have. And when you do that and you're so confident in, in your beliefs, people come to you and they feel like they can be themselves. Um, I think the other thing is setting a precedent in your community, which I think we've done really, really well is, you know, we don't allow any BS. We don't allow any drama. When you have a, a group of 120,000 active women in a Facebook group, things can go south pretty, pretty quick. You know, <laughs> it can yeah. go south pretty quick. So I think it's just setting a precedent of what your community stands for, who they are, what their identity is. We don't talk about each other. We empower each other. We challenge each other. We don't post negativity. We don't post drama. So that doesn't get anyone anywhere. And really setting those guidelines in your community in, in um in a clear way that doesn't make them feel like they're being suppressed. It makes them feel like they're being liberated of the everyone else in their life. They will come off of our Facebook group and you have to go back to real life where everyone's complaining about everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really setting that precedent. And then I think um, really the third thing is uh, uh, believing in them more than they believe in themselves. I call it borrowed confidence, right? So with your customers, with your group, with your people, like you have to give them that borrowed confidence until they believe in themselves, right? I think the reason why women attach so much to this brand is because we give them that belief in the beginning. They step into a new identity. They become a lady boss. We believe in them more than they believe in themselves. And so once you have that, it's great. Now the next is, okay, great. How do you build equity, Dane? You build equity by solving someone's problem. You also build equity by not, not, not being an expert. Please, God, do not be an expert. Be a freaking entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs don't have to be experts. Entrepreneurs hire experts. Mm. And, and so, and you can do that when you know how to sell. And so without, without question, every single person that comes to me so far in my life that has struggled, they're technically gifted at something they can't sell. And if you can't sell, you'll forever be dependent on, you'll be needy and dependent on someone else for your income for the rest of your life. You'll be dependent on those people who can sell. Yeah. 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 True. <laughs> and so like, dude, take like 90 days and learn sales. I think, you know, Albert Einstein, they rumored that he wasn't the smartest scientist, but damn, he was one of the great selling ones. So yeah. listen, like not like sales is, is really important, you know, and like you got to recognize that hundreds of years of sales conditioning 80% of that material based on the research I did is manipulative in nature. So we've got, we've got conditioning, you know, most people don't like sales. It's not your fault. It's like literally conditioned passing down from one organism to the next that sales is manipulative through training. So you've got to fight conditioning and rewire conditioning around selling being manipulative because it has been in nature. Most of the materials has been about how to manipulate a prospect into buying things. Now there are good stuff, 20% or so I thought was, saw was good. Now with these things in place, now you know you need to find a problem and now guess what? You don't have to solve the problem you find because you hire an expert. So this is the kind of like the primary beef I had. You know, I think Russell Brunson's wicked intelligent and I have a fundamental disagreement with his book, Expert Secrets, but I think he's also really smart for releasing it because that's what people are just like, walk on, but gotta be an expert, gotta be an expert, gotta be an expert, sell your expertise, sell your expertise. And it's like, oh my God, glorified employees thinking they're entrepreneurs. You know, like you don't have a business if, hmm. if you're the expert, unless you happen to know sales systems and outsourcing, which have nothing to do with being an expert on a topic. So let's say you have like, let's say, so the, the, the way you start a business is looking at a framework. Frameworks will help you do this. So now you got this next six learning adventures. To sum up those six learning adventures, they all come down to one basic framework. I call it the holy grail of business because it serves me so well when I get scared and with a name like with a name like this it better be good I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I hope you think so it is to me and the simplicity could be lost on people but man you it, it can build a billion dollar company and I'll give you examples it's a clear customer wants a clear result so we use a clear mechanism mm, I'm good with that yeah yeah so if you look at businesses that are struggling they don't have those things clear 
And if you look at most businesses that are successful, pretty clear on those three things. So now if you look at Weight Watchers, women in their 40s, plus or minus 10 years, they want to lose 10 pounds in a week. So they use a point counting system. Now in under 10 seconds, I articulated a billion dollar brand. If you look at Dave Ramsey, it's, you know, couples, families, and debt, result, debt-free mechanism, debt snowball. He's one of the top guys in the financial space. If you go to weightwashers.com and you go to daveramsey.com, most of the time you will see a picture of their clear customer at the top of the page holding a sign speaking to the clear result they had. I have um, seen cold showers for a long time and you couldn't get me in a cold shower to save my life. No way am I getting in a cold shower. <laughs> then I start watching and seeing the results that people have. Yeah. I take cold showers every morning. <laughs> right. The results of cold showers are ridiculous like save people's lives, lower your heart rate 20 to 30 beats per minute. Like it's amazing. So anyway, the results is what motivated me to do cold showers. What pe most business owners are trying to do is they're trying to talk about their cold shower. There's th so they, they suffer from mechanism first thinking. Right. Mechanism right. first. So mechanism first thinking is also expertise based thinking, which is, you know, part of the fundamental disagreement I do have with expert secrets, but I still think it's very smart to sell. But you also notice Russell's not really Russell's hiring his experts over at ClickFunnels to build his software. He also does happen to be an expert at funnels, but he's no, he's no stranger to hiring experts, partnering right. with yeah. experts and selling experts. So, I mean, you could give expert secrets to someone who knows a niche topic, let them get good at that, but then you publish and sell an expert. But we all know that the guys that have the, the real freedom are the folks that know how to sell and outsource. Yeah. And, and so let's look at like, um, a, 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 I love this example because it's so random. If you follow me around the podcast circuit, you hear me talk about it all the time. Hopefully listen to this as the, like it was the first time because I just love it so much. The clear customer was someone that owns a parrot. The clear result is they want their parrot to stop biting them. It's really painful. So the clear mechanism is a parrot behavior training program. So you call up a parrot store and you ask if they got a parrot trainer and you ask if they can solve these behavioral issues. They say, yes. You say, would you like to create a, a course with your iPhone and get 20% of the profit and do nothing but teach for like a day? Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Now you got a business and you're like a one day in. Sometimes, sometimes people are like, you know what? I tried Facebook ads <laughs> and they don't work. Nope, they don't work. They just don't work, right? They're like, I try, I tried being successful and it doesn't work. <laughs> right. And and so we we kind of laugh about that a little bit because I think sometimes people do something and and they don't really know exactly what they're doing or how to do it or who to have help them. And so they create this, you know, um this belief that it just doesn't work. Meanwhile, you know, you've got clients in all different niches, all different industries um, and everything like that. And you guys are running Facebook ads from everything from, you know, local businesses to, you know, software companies to info product companies to experts, like everything in between. And so, um, so I want to, I want to get into when somebody says Facebook ads don't work for me, Mm -hmm. Like, what's your reaction to that? <laughs> well, first off, <laughs> I guess that's there it is. It. That's the reaction. That's right the reaction. <laughs> well, and a lot of times I'll ask, like, okay, well, like, how much did you spend? And they're like, I spent thirty dollars, and it didn't work. Right. And I and I'm just like, what did what did you expect to happen with your thirty dollars? Well, I don't know, but I wanted a sale. I'm like, I thought I was going to become a millionaire. I thought I thought that's how this worked. You just I've never heard that before. Thirty dollars, and then you're a millionaire. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've heard that before. And I'm like, you know, a, obviously $30 isn't going to get you very far. You're not even, you, it's just, it is not going to get very far, but and B, they had no plan. Like they had no idea what they were aiming for. They just were throwing money saying, please make sales. And if that's how it worked for everybody, we'd all be multi multi millionaires right now. Right. So, how, so, so, so one people have weird and wacky expectations. Yes. When it comes to running Facebook ads, because I think I think they think like success online is, you know, all about the ad. Meanwhile, there's a lot of other things that go into creating 100%. successful ads, right? Like you could have all the Facebook ads in the world running to your page. But if your page sucks or people don't want to buy your thing, mm -hmm. 
really not the ads, right? So there's like all sorts yeah. of reasons why it might might not be working. But before we get into any of that, why are you doing what you do now? Because oh I God. know I know you know what goes on behind the scenes, and it's not it's not easy to grow a very successful Facebook ad agency. So like, why why are you doing this? Yeah, I love. First of all, I love more clients. I love marketing. Those are two big things. But I love when we're able to help our clients impact lives. I mean, I have clients right now, literally, um, who help um, uh, traumatized um, adopted children. And they help the parents and they help like the situation. And so I'm just like, how many people can we help her impact? And, and she's struggling to get that out there. And I know from personal experience with my own uh, brother and family and, and situations they've had, they could use that help. So I just look at that and I'm like, Oh my gosh, how can we help? So every time I see like, why are her sales down? Why isn't she getting this? We need to impact more lives. More people need to hear this. So for me, that's the first thing. If I can, if I can like see that in a client, I'm like all in. I just want to help them grow so far, so fast. Um, but then, you know, I just love marketing at the end of the day too. So I love talking about it all day. I mean, obviously that's, that's my jam. So I love doing it all day, but really the impact is probably the biggest thing. Right. Right. That's yeah, amazing. Absolutely. What's like, what's one of the coolest stories that, you know, that you've been part of, you know, you've helped, you've seen or experienced that really like solidifies that? Like, what is the power of what you do? Like, what is like, what, what does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, we have two different types of clients that can come to us. Um, well, maybe probably three, but you know, we have some clients who come to us who, who have funnels that work, their product sells, and they're just coming to us to scale. And that's amazing. I can help them scale and impact more lives. And that's awesome. It's a little bit easier because, you know, they're back end. My biggest thing is always an ad won't fix a broken offer. So if you come to me with your mm -hmm. offer working and everything working, then we can just help scale and, and improve it. Yeah. But the clients that come to us that they've sold online organically a bit and that's really cool, but they haven't gone to the ad round. So they, they think it works, but they haven't just really gone that extra. They just don't know ads and organic are different. So when you go to Facebook ads and you're bringing in that kind of traffic, it's different. So I love being able to help them actually build that presence online and impact instead of I have 30 or 50 sales and it's so exciting. I just help them get 500 sales and 500 lives impacted and that's a, that's what i love because they don't know if it's gonna work we're trying to help them work and when we get to that point we're like oh my god you went from here and we just brought you to here that's exciting it's always fun to scale people who are already working i love that but it's really cool to see someone who hasn't really hit it yet but they've got you know it works but it's not there yet and we just brought mm -hmm. them we help them because it is a whole holistic thing it's not just ads it's a whole holistic approach but we help them get there and i love that that's awesome Part number one, when you reach out to someone, is to mention their correct name, okay? You talk about the fundamentals and mastering the fundamentals. Using the correct name is so key. The <laughs> amount of people, you guys, that call me Jack or Jeff in their outreach is unbelievable <laughs> to me. And it's wow. like, you do not just read the name at the top of the screen. <laughs> and, and it's so important, though, because the best are the best at the fundamentals. Mm. Number two, we call this fun fact frenzy, okay? You're going to share a commonality or a compliment or something that resonates between the two of you. You're going to do the 30-minute stock and grab, okay? You're going to go to their profile. You're going to look through their photos. Do you wear the same type of clothes? Have you traveled to the same place? Do you like the book they've written? Have you had someone on that's the same on their podcast? What is some type of commonality or something that you like about what they've done within 30 seconds? You're going to mention that right away. And then you're going to leave the conversation open-ended by trying to say, looking forward to connecting look excited to chat and you're going to just start there. The key is not to ask for something right away. The key is not to go all in right away. The key is to build the relationship. And that's where we start on Instagram and we do it through a two part, two part approach. And that's step one. All right. So that's, so that's awesome. So we'll get to step two in just a second. So how do you find that commonality and bring it up without looking creepy? <laughs> right, so, I, I, I just knew like knowing you guys like I knew that that was going to be a question that you were going to ask <laughs> because because I even went with the 30 second stock and grab and I was like okay yeah but, you're like you're oh that's so interesting my grandma's name is Frida as well <laughs> yeah and, and, and so there's a fine line here of course right like 
you know, you're not going to talk about the type of underwear they're wearing if they like have Calvin Klein in there, right? Like you're not going to mention that, but what you want to find are basic commonalities that are shared across the globe, meaning sports teams, education, connections in common, topics they speak about, products they've sold that you've used, um, books that have featured that person in. So um, stuff, stuff they've been very public about. Something right. that's very public about. You don't want to have to dig too deep. Right. right. <laughs> they post about their family. How many kids do they have? Oh, you have three kids? I have three kids. Amazing. Right. Which yeah. one oh, and that one about, picture, right? I noticed your grandfather's urn sitting on your bookshelf. How coincidental. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like you'd actually want to send those messages, James. This is the problem. <laughs> only, only later on if I was having fun with it. Yeah, no, okay, that, that makes sense then. So it's like, oh, hey, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm a Mets fan. I, I saw your Mets fan too. I'm sorry they suck so bad, right? <laughs> Something like that. Exactly, because the whole point of doing that, the reason why we're trying to do this is because everybody's getting bombarded with all of the spammy messages. Right. Hey, I can I can grow your Instagram profile, 20,000 people in 30 days. Are you interested? No, I'm not interested in this. I'm not interested in your service. I'm not interested in your 37 paragraph message for me on the first time. No one wants that. It's annoying. No one likes that, right? And so by doing this, what we're really doing is we're saying, hey, we're both human. And all we're trying to do is we're trying to say, hey, you like the Mets? I like the Mets. If you like the Mets and I like the Mets, we're going to have more in common than just me saying that you like the Mets. Right. And then it's going to start to think of you going back to the power of storytelling is now the next phase is you're going to ask a question that's going to dive deeper into that, which elicits that person who you're reaching out to, to think of a story, think of a memory. And that builds emotional connection between the two parties versus just trying to jump straight to the gun. They're not going to have that emotional connection or that depth to that initial conversation. All right. So, so stop keeping us in suspense here. Like how do we handle phase two? So phase <laughs> two, phase two is once you have that response, right? Some people are never going to respond to you. So, so you might send that like the first message and you get nothing. Yeah. So we have, we use what's called the 4130 approach. Okay. Four touch points, one person, 30 days. And this is this is how this would work. And we'll also do it if, if someone does respond right away, because I think it's very important for, for people that are listening right now. The first part is if, say you send that first one, you, you put in the, the, the fun fact frenzy, you got, you got it going on and they're like, there's no response. And James, if you blow me off, because I don't like the Mets, then that's, then that's it. You know, I'm going to come back. It. I'm going to come back. <laughs> so seven days later, we go with the first follow-up. That's just the confirmation of, of, did you get the message, right? Like, we just want to make sure. And you say a little something there. Seven days, if they don't respond to that again, you just want to say, hey, you know, still would love to connect. I'm sure life has been crazy. Let me know if you're open to it. Have you, have you talked at this point about like why you want to connect? Or you're just saying, mm -hmm. you know, we want to connect. Like, because for me, I think if I got an inbound message and somebody's like, hey, I know you like the Mets. I'd be like, yeah, cool. But but like, why are we having that conversation? I guess maybe, I don't know, so, maybe, maybe that's just me. So Instagram versus email versus LinkedIn, there's a little bit of tweaks that we do with each one, specifically just because of the space that we have and the time that someone will spend to read it. But if we're using Instagram, for example, that second message, you may put in exactly why. Hey, just want to make sure you got the first message. Also, would love to talk to you about this, this, this. Or, hey, also, by the way, I have a question for you because I know you're one of the leading experts in, in XYZ. Yeah. What, is, what is this? And that you want to just start to elicit a response. Our goal is to get a response if we're trying to connect with them. Our goal is not to have them buy our product or become our affiliate partner. Our yeah. goal is to elicit that first response because you have to get the relationship going. You made a distinction between like building a business and building a cash flow stream. And this is something that you and I have talked about before. Can you can you like unpack that distinction for people? Because I don't think that most people are thinking that way when they start to put their energy and their effort and their resources into something. Hmm. Totally. So there's a few characteristics that probably differentiate cash flow stream versus a business. But the one thing I always think about when someone's starting the business is, are you planning to exit this business on, on any level? And even if you never want to sell it, are you setting it up that it essentially could be sold if you should want it to be sold? Because if you're building an actual business, you as the, the owner of the business 
need to be thinking about, okay, how am I eventually going to be removing myself from all the things? Because otherwise it's just like, you know, like a constant hustle where without you, nothing runs, right? Like I, yeah. I, I even like, even in the physical product space, because like I have a bunch of different involvements with, with Amazon and, and e-com kind of things. If you haven't even built like a process around what you're doing and it's just you, I tell people all the time, like if you took off a month, what would happen to your business? Whether it's physical products or even digital informational products, what would actually happen? And that's usually a very clear indication of do you actually have a systematized business or are you kind of generating cash flow and, and making sales? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've totally had that same conversation with a lot of people before. And, I, and obviously, even in a, you know, the more structured business that you could eventually sell, there is the early stage where you do need way more involvement, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're right. setting up those systems and all of that sort of thing. Totally. But if you're not, but if you're not beginning with the end in mind, yep. then you just wind up on this constant, you know, hamster wheel where there is no getting off because you never thought about how you were going to get out and, you know, kind of reclaim your time and stuff like that. For sure. I mean, it, and, and it's not to say that your, your end doesn't change. Like at some point you could be a year in and say, Hey, I have a totally different vision of where I want this to go. But definitely if you don't have that end in mind, then in the, it, it's comical because if you think back like 10, 20 years ago, there, the entrepreneur, right? The name, the industry didn't exist the way it did the way it does now, right? It, it was kind of like, it wasn't even a, you know, something that people went to school for, obviously, but it wasn't like people kind of finished high school and said, okay, what are you going to do? And a kid says, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. It was, it was kind of like, almost like laughed at in the sense of like, oh, so you don't want to get a job. And, <laughs> yeah. and like Wait. a lot, a lot yeah. of these things kind of come out because of that, right? Like people will work 80 hour we weeks for themselves so yeah. that they don't work a 40 hour nine to five for someone else. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they may make more money on their own, but are they really doing something or are they literally just kind of like creating a high stress job for themselves? So what are the, uh, so, so let's maybe kind of rapid fire a few of the key questions that you do need to know. So you talked about, you know, budget, you talked about their situation, mm -hmm. like what else would you put on the need to know list? So you need to know if they've, what their timeline is. You need to know how they make decisions, what's involved in their decision-making process. You need to know if they've worked with anyone in your industry in the past, and if so, what was that experience? If they currently are, what's going on? How they, how do I want to say this? How they problem solve. because you know, there's the possibility something's going to go wrong somewhere down the road. Right. And and how do they deal with situations? Uh, what's their preferred communication method? Budget is huge. All that's, all that's really interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about when you say you need to know what their decision-making process is? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, salespeople have a bad habit of saying, are you the decision maker, which we all know is a really bad question because A, it, it's rude and B, they're not going to tell you, you know, they're going to tell you they are, whether they are or not. But if you say, would you mind sharing with me what your decision make, you know, how you're going to go about making this decision, then you're asking permission. They're going to tell you what you want to know is, are there other people involved? Does it go through steps? Is it, a, you know, a committee and is based on that, is there a way that you can, I'm going to use the word influence. I don't mean it in a bad way, but let's say they say, well, you know, I'm going to gather all of this information and then we have a board meeting on Friday and I'll present the information at the board meeting and then the board will vote on it. Okay. Mm. Are there ways that I, I, I want to make sure that I'm giving you the information that you need so that no matter what question they ask you, you'll have an answer. And I know that that could be tough, right? You, you can, it just helps you continue the conversation and further get involved in the decision-making process. Does it make sense for me to attend the board meeting or, you know, maybe part of the board meeting just to be able to answer questions? 
as they well, come I love, up. I love this in particular. There's been so much good stuff here, but this I think is one of the most powerful things that's come out of this conversation because my my philosophy on the sales conversation is you are not there to sell. You are there to facilitate a powerful decision. And if you don't understand how that decision-making process happens, it's very difficult to facilitate that powerful decision. Yeah. Right. So if so, so, so if somebody says, well, I, you know, I'm going to need to, you know, ask you some questions, I'm going to need to, you know, look at some materials and then I'm going to need to talk to my partner about it. Then you're like, okay, now you know what to do and to give to them to right. help them make that powerful decision. Right. Mm. Yep. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think that is really powerful. Yeah, that's quite good, James. I don't usually expect you to say much at, uh, to Italian. It's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Caught me off guard, bar, to be honest. The I bar is set, out bro, you start speaking because I expect it to be so terrible, but that was that was worth tuning in for. So I see that one come in. <laughs> well, even a, even a broken clock is right twice a day, Dean. I've <laughs> not heard that one before. <laughs> Diane, this is uh, this is such a such a valuable approach to sales because my like my my opinion and one of the reasons I really wanted to have this conversation with you today is because I think sales is a high level service. The, the act of selling is a high level service that you can provide when when you take this approach, and uh, and this is this is so incredibly helpful. And I hope that everybody who's been listening will re-listen to this and not just mm -hmm. listen to it, but, but incorporate this into your sales conversation. And, and to yeah. go back to the point that we made earlier, Dean, I feel like there are massive amounts of elements of this philosophy, mm -hmm. which can also be used and embedded in online sales. Like this doesn't just have to be, oh, you know, one-on-one sure. -on -one consultative sales, does it? No, not at all. I think it, I think it translates like very, very closely in all honesty. Um, like every, everything you were just going through there, this is a lot of what, you know, a lot of how we do things with our, with our conversations. Um, and, and we're purely online. So yeah, absolutely. So tip one, problem solution fit, which is simple and brilliant all at the same time. So, okay. So let's say, let's say we have done some research. We have talked to our customers or prospects or the market. We feel like we have a good solution to the problem that they have. Mm -hmm. Now now what? So I, I think at this point, you do have the option of beginning to put together, you know, one of the business model canvases, right? Um, mm -hmm. And in the book, we talked about there being, you know, different levels of complexity you can go to, whether you're, you know, if you're really ready for the full, you know, Osterwalder's business model canvas. Um, I mean, I, I tend to recommend against that right at the beginning. I think the lean canvas is usually a good place to start. You know, we created that little RTVN, even pre-idea canvas just to identify what your key resources are, the transactions of the organization, the value you create, and sort of the narrative that holds it all together. But, I, I, and, you know, and, and all, you can use almost any one of those to begin laying out the ideas. Can you tell, um, can you just... Uh, Elaborate on RTVN. What is that? Was that stand sure? For? Yeah. So RTVN is resources, transactions, values, and narrative. And and this came out of our research. You know, and I always I always hesitate to dig too far into sort of the, <laughs> the academic side of this, but we. Um, so this came out of, you know, when Jerry and I were looking at this and thinking, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody knows what the heck this business model thing is. And Jerry is just a brilliant entrepreneurial academic because he recognized that that meant that there was theoretically a market for academic research on business models, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's, an, he's a tremendous entrepreneur, sort of think, entrepreneurial thinker in his own right. That's like real meta inception stuff, right? It there. really is. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I didn't get it at the time. It took me a, a good seven or eight years to figure all of that out. Um, yeah, he was very patient. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but so... The idea being that we, what we did then was we looked at all of what had been published. I mean, we read, I don't know, we read, you know, we read like a thousand papers that had already been published about business models at that point to see what, you know, what academics and, 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 um, and practitioners were at least claiming business models were about. And that was covering everything from like digital business models in, you know, specifically in IT to construction business models and, and, um, and then really sophisticated academic 
research on, uh, on, on how business models theoretically created value. Um, and just, uh, so the two researchers who really sort of pioneered all this, uh, Amit and Zot, really kind of led the way on on business models. I can talk about how their thinking changed. And in some ways they kind of got, I mean, they're fantastic, fantastically successful academics, but they got a little bit short changed on the business model definition because theirs was spectacular, but it was just hard to work with. Um, so we mm. did all this research about, you know, on what was being said about business models. And we went out and talked to, you know, hundreds of managers to find out, you know, what, what do you think a business model is? Can you define it? We gave them examples. We let them try to pick through definitions. You know, we handed them academic definitions and asked them if they could figure out what they meant. <laughs> we got a lot of, like we got a lot of funny. Cards. Yeah. We were, seriously, it was actually flashcards. We actually handed, I had like se- the seven definitions that we'd found sort of most commonly cited in the literature. And I just handed them to managers and said, do you understand what any of these mean? And they were just looking, Look at me funny. Um, so, so that was my introduction to academic research, really being looked at funny a lot. Um, and so we, and and so what we did then is we we did basically a, a meta analysis where we said, here's what everyone is saying. Um, how can we generate patterns out of all of the things that they're saying? And out mm. of that came these four areas: the resources of the organization, the transactions that the organization the venture participates in the value it creates and the way it creates that value and then the narrative that sort of they tell each other internally or externally that sort of holds all of that together um and so we just so out of that we just said you know these other canvases are awesome but if you're pre-id if you're basically at almost the pre-idea stage like you just have this glimmer of an idea you've thought of you think there's a problem out there and you might have a solution for it you've come up with a way of changing how a current business runs um then maybe just a really simple piece of paper in which you list out what you think the key resources would be that is what are the assets capabilities of the organization that are useful right so google has the page rank algorithm right and walmart has its incredibly efficient distribution network right and southwest has really well trained employees who are cross functional and um and they only buy one kind of plane so that everybody can work you know on any on any flight um and you have companies uh that have specific intellectual property that no one else has, right? So those resources and capabilities that come together. So I've actually developed five, what we'll call master values or operational values. And I think these five master values are the same for almost, almost all business leaders, all organizational leaders. And then from these, you kind of develop your organizational values that make your organization very, very unique. Uh, probably the, one of the, the first ones, maybe most important is that of integrity. Um, so doing what you say you're going to do, making your agreements, uh, being free of any resentments. Believe it, being free of resentments is a huge one if you want to have integrity, being a whole person. Uh, and then also making sure that you're operating in a way that's win-win with the rest of the world is really important if you want to engender cooperation from other people. you got to start that's, with that. That's really interesting that you uh, put that uh, being free from resentment in the mm-hmm. integrity value. Where, yeah. where, did, uh, where did that come from for you? Well, the, the word integrity, come, actually, it is one of the, there's four definitions of integrity if you look in the dictionary, and it is to be integral, is to be whole. So as a human being, if we are resenting somebody else, we're worried about somewhere else, where our mind is somewhere else, more or less we're at some degree of hurt, and hurt mm. people will hurt other people. Yeah. So yeah. I really believe there is no such thing as a business problem or a leadership problem, there's only a personal pro- problem that has now manifested into your leadership or into mm. your business. Mm. So we have got, as leaders, got to do a really good job of managing ourselves to make sure we're free of all those attachments yeah. that, are, you know, that basically we are obsessing over, that are taxing our thinking, that keep us from being fully present, able to engage with others, being authentic and solve problems. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. All right, so in- integrity is number one. Let's keep yep. let's keep moving down the line yeah, here. Absolute responsibility. Uh, it's sometimes yeah. called extreme ownership, and that more or less is owning problems. Uh, more or less, there's a couple of great quotes on this. You know, being a great leader is accepting all of all of the blame and none of the credit. You know, this is what a great leader really does. They they basically own the problem uh, humbly and basically doing their very very best to take care of the problem. We really so absolute responsibility is accepting the situation, 
owning the situation without blame or shame or resentment. It's just yeah. saying, this is what it is. You can right. certainly talk about how you got there and what caused that situation, but spending more than about five minutes or maybe a day on you know thinking about who you may resent for what put credit situation is really not worth your energy. It's a very, very dark hole. Well, right. and that you know that reminds me of uh, Dean's earliest bit venture when he was breeding parakeets, and <laughs> they all ate each other, and he took <laughs> personal responsibility for that situation happening. <laughs> this is why I've never been able to go back better down that venture. But one day, my friend, I will take the ownership of that and do this again. <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I joke about that, but but in all the times that you've told that story. You've never once cast blame on anything. You've just been like, hey, like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. right. It's true. It's you know? true. Yeah. So it's, it's like it is it's kind of a joke, but it is like actually serious at the same time. So integrity, personal responsibility. And I love the um, I'm sure you've read uh, Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership, right? Where, right. you know, amazing. So, so amazing. And, and I completely agree with you on that whole personal responsibility. And I think. Just to drill into that for a second, I feel like at a certain level of growth, people feel like taking personal responsibility is going to be disempowering. They're like, oh, man, like, you know, like, ah, I don't want to take responsibility for that. But but when you really own that, mm. that's like your entire base of power where you're yes. like, wait, if I have personal responsibility for everything in my world, that means I have the ability to create the results and the change and everything that I want in my world. And it's like extremely liberating. Exactly. That was the word I was going to jump in and use is, it is absolutely liberating. We cannot change what we do not own period. End of story. And as soon as we own it, as it is own it, as we want it to be, you're right. It is a superpower of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Okay. So, so let's keep going. These are like, you're getting me all fired up here. <laughs> yeah, I like these too. Yeah. Number three, you may not have thought of, and that is uh, humility. Mm. So humility actually has a couple of different components to it. And the first component is realizing that you are no more or less valuable than any other human being on the planet. Uh, and that certainly means you should never, ever uh, in any way degrade, disempower, harm another person, unless you're doing personal defense. But nothing makes me more angry than seeing a powerful business person go into a hotel and start abusing somebody in the, in the floor. It, it drives me absolutely nuts. For example, realizing you're the same value, you'd never do that. Yeah. No, um, that's... Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, uh, is to see yourself That is incredibly powerful and reminds me... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, James. No, no, no. Sorry. I, I think we uh, we had a glitch there. Go for it. Oh, and, and then also is to see yourself objectively, both your strengths and your weaknesses as you are. And the third part is the ability to admit you're wrong. And I want to admit that I'm wrong as close to the moment that I make the mistake. Uh, I, I make a lot of mistakes, and I spend a lot of time basically admitting my mistakes very, very quickly. This mindset shift of we need to cross the line of making this about us to making it about how do I help them? You know, right. because as long as you're focused on this is about me. This is my thing. It's my idea. It's my business. It's blah, 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 blah. Then all the other things sort of get in the way, right? The insecurities get in the way, you know, the, right. the, the feelings of like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have the best product or I suck at this or whatever. All those things get in the way. And that's, that's like, you, you can't start if those things are in your way, right? So the right. best way to get them out of your way is to focus on the benefit that you're that you're committed to providing to other people, does that mean it's going to be perfect? Like, no, not even a little bit. Nothing is perfect. Right. But you can get better and better and better. And if you're committed to serving those people, then that's exactly the, the trajectory that you're on when you make that decision. So I think that's, I think it's a really big lesson. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that's definitely one of the lessons that I've taken away in the last three years of doing this. Um, because I mean, let's be honest, guys. Why else would I put up with Dean for all these years if, <laughs> if it weren't for trying to help you guys? <laughs> James has been telling himself for three years. Okay, it's not about me. Just turn up for an hour. Exactly. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. 
I'm there's, like, there's people out there that ambulances won't treat them. I can do this. <laughs> that's right. All right. All right. Big deep breath. Big deep breath. Got to do another show. Got to do another show. People are counting on you. <laughs> there's five people out there that need to hear what I've got to say. <laughs> and one of them's Dean's mom. And I know she needs this more than anybody else. Because she's had to deal with him and his nonsense for longer than anybody. So, all right. So I think that for me, that's like lesson number one. And that's about, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to put yourself out there. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay for things not to be perfect. What is not okay is for you to keep what you have that can help other people inside. Like that's the thing that's not okay. Um, all right. So, so let's, let's, uh, let's shift lesson number two. All right. So, so this is something that, um, that I think is, I don't know why this, why this isn't like talked about more, but I feel like there's a general sense that there's certain people you can learn stuff from and certain people you can't. And Mm. one of my, one of my core beliefs is that everybody has something that they can teach you. And, um, and, and like you said, Dean, We've had some absolutely awesome guests on this show. Right. We've had at least one guest whose show we did not air because <laughs> we did not think he was so awesome. But right. most of the people that we've had on the show, like we have learned a ton from. Yes. And and I think that a lot of times when people have a conversation, they're they're looking to talk more than they're looking to listen. And I feel like listening is a superpower that if you can develop it and hone it, it is unbelievable what you can learn from even what on the surface might look like the most ordinary person. And so one of the, one of the things that I've absolutely loved and enjoyed is being able to ask all of these awesome people questions, right? Yeah. Like, how did you think about this? Or why, where did this come from? Or how'd you discover this? Or why did you do that? Or, what were you what were you even thinking when this happened right and like i'm just so curious about what makes other people make decisions and it blows me away that i see marketing people and sales people and business people and all these people who are like i want to grow a business and i want to make money and yet they don't stop to listen to other people right and i'm and i'm reminded of a of a um a, a saying that somebody told me once it's like well, where does, where does money actually come from? Other people, mm, you know? Yeah. And if you're not listening to other people, how do you even put yourself in a position to maximize the relationship that you have with your customers and maximize the value that you're creating? So I think for me, like the second lesson is about the importance of being curious and the importance of listening and the importance of not needing to be the person who like, has all the answers and says all the things, but being, being receptive. And, and I think it's been such a, such a joy for me to, to take that role on this show over the last few years in just asking questions from awesome people. All right, you guys, that's it for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed all the tips and insights brought by our awesome guests. Thank you again for tuning in today and for tuning in every Tuesday at one o'clock Eastern on YouTube for our live shows, and again on Thursdays when we release each new podcast episode on our website and all major podcast streaming platforms. We'll see you guys next week.